Hallelujah. Praise God. How many weeks have we been talking on the gifts of the Spirit? How many? Seven weeks. Okay. Uh, anybody have any questions on any of them? Man, you guys are lightning quick. I thought I'd have a question. All right. Hallelujah. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. We're going to read from verse 7 down through 13. Well, we'll read down through 11, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians, 12th chapter. And it says this, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of those tongues. But all these worketh one, that one and self-same spirit dividing to every man severally as he wills. Now we've talked on tongues, we've talked on the interpretation of tongues, we talked on prophecy, talked on the working of miracles. Remember, somebody says it's the working, the working of miracles. It's not just a miracle, it's the working of miracles. And so tonight, let's talk about the gift of faith, the gift of faith. And let's go to uh, Matthew, I believe it's the uh, 14th chapter, where Peter is uh, walking on, is uh, invited to, by Jesus to walk on the water. And that's found in Matthew, the 14th chapter, and verse 22, we're going to start. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the water, or walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when, the, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. 
Now, out of that, we do see that all of the gifts of the Spirit verify the identity of Jesus Christ. And so all gifts point to Jesus. Then we see also that this gift of faith, this gift of faith, now this is not the faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There are three types of faith that come to, the, I'll say four, and uh, four kinds of faith that come into people's lives. The first type that we are most familiar of is hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, how does that come from? That comes from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that faith comes to every believer and it's given in a measure. Somebody say a measure. Could I have Romans 12, 3 on the screen? Now, this type of faith not only appropriates the grace for salvation, but appropriates the grace that is interwoven and outlaid, revealed in every promise. And here it says, for I say through the grace given unto me that every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly according as God has dealt unto every man different measures of faith. The measure. What does this do? This tells us that God's not a respect of persons. This makes the playing field level for every believer that every believer now has a measure of faith. That measure of faith is the measure that has already been tried and proven. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He tried, gave birth to our faith, tempered our faith, tried our faith, brought it to a victorious, successful outcome through life, being tempted like as every other man. Jesus walked by faith, pleasing God, used faith to stay sinless, and after he was crucified on the cross, fulfilling God's plan. He also used his faith that God was faithful, that even in death, his faith allowed God's faith to raise him. He is raised from the dead by the faith of God. You say, well, no, it's by his faith. No, he had faith in a faithful God. Into thy hands do I commend my spirit, God. That was Jesus' act of faith in the resurrection. It's God's act of faith after that. And so, here we have a measure of faith. This measure of faith has already been portioned and it's not lacking in any believer. Every believer is being given a measure of faith to live what? The purpose of God, he is to live the abundant life. That faith is not limited no matter where, if you're in uh, Uganda, if you're in Italy, if you're in Spain, if you're in Jamaica, it doesn't matter where you are, the faith of God will produce for you like it will for any man on planet earth. There's no easier to live by faith in America than it is to live by faith in Africa. You say, oh, it's got to be easier. Really? It's not easier. The church in Africa is on fire. The church in America isn't burning so bright. The church in Africa says, where is the church of America? And I have to give them excuses for us all the time. Their major problem is, where is America? I say, well, there is a light and there is a breathalyzer and it comes from heaven and God's keeping us alive. But we will rise up. They say, okay, well, we will wait for you at the finish line. Yes, never think that America's Christianity is viewed very highly because it simply doesn't take much to be a Christian in America. And when it does require something, most Christians stop being Christians. You know, we get tempted 
we just stop being Christians until we've satisfied ourselves, then we go back to being Christians. In other countries, you have to give up your life, you have to give up your families. In fact, sometimes in, in other countries, I give an altar call like this. How many of you would like to receive Jesus? I want you to come forward. When they come forward, I say, go back, you never understood me. How many of you are willing to die for Jesus Christ today? They come. How many of you are willing to lose your houses and your homes and your family and your kids? They come running. We can't give altar calls like that in America. We have to give them like this. Jesus will bless you and make everything well. He'll fill your bank account. He'll heal your marriage. He'll make you happy. He'll give you hair. Then people come and get saved. See, it's not the gospel. The gospel is this. You're a sinner, and Jesus will forgive you, and that's the crux of all salvation. Amen. There are no deals with salvation between God and man. The deal has already been remedied. The deal has already been solved, and it's already been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is then accepted by faith, and you are sealed if you walk in righteousness. And uh, it amazes me, too. Other, other countries don't believe in grace. They believe in things. They, they're, they're weird. They, they're kind of, maybe it's nutritional shortages or something, but, but they believe like holiness. You know, they, they, I, I think it's malnutrition. From the world and uh, but anyway this faith has been given to you and this faith produces the abundant life says the abundant life now the abundant life does not just consist of things if you go to second Peter 1 and verse 3 and 4 it'll tell you what it consists of second Peter there you go thank you according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life somebody say life that is the life of the abundance. Really, it, it is the life of, of abundance. It is also connected to the Zoe life, the life of God. The life of God is not just in possessing abundance. It is using abundance to lift others out of lack, need, and limitation. So when we live the abundant life, our abundant life is not to be just things. Our abundant life is to be to extract things that have been put in the hands of a wicked system, a demonic world, and to use them to lift others up out of it. Okay, that's, that's the abundant Zoe life. And then realize this, the God life is never a life of individuality. Love your neighbor as your, that's the God life. And then it says this, and godliness. Somebody say godliness. In other words, when God says you can use all these promises that God has given us as his divine power, his divine power, his divine power, when people sin and people see it, they are persuaded that the devil is stronger than God. There went a whole mouthful. And it says this, the life unto godliness through the knowledge of him who have called us unto glory and virtue. Glory and virtue. And then it says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great promises that by these we might be made partakers of his divine nature. Somebody say his nature. Somebody say his nature. Righteousness, holiness, purity. That is the nature of God. And we are to use our faith to apprehend the grace that has been given unto us through his divine power so that we can live life and godliness. A life of abundance without godliness 
is a shame to those that live it. Thank you for those three Methodist voices. Hallelujah. And uh, divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. So faith has been given unto you to live the Zoe life, not just a thing life, a Zoe life. If you have all the world's goods and do not have love, what? You're like a sounding brass. In other words, you are testimony not to God, but you just make noise. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, but in this we see that we are to live this Zoe life, the abundant life of blessing others. What did God give Abraham the first thing that he gave him? I'll bless you that you be a blessing. And any time that a blessing comes to us and it's just focused inward, it's not the purpose of God being fulfilled through us or for us. And then we are to produce godliness. No Christian should ever be bound by sin. Oh, but I've been struggling for years. Stop struggling, start fighting and win. Amen. Stop trying to do it on yourself. Your own due diligence, your own attitude, your own thinking processes, those are not what brings godliness. Godliness comes through an infusion of his divine power that is received by faith, established in a life, and you become free. You, I don't think that God or Christ ever has the concept that man desires or wants to dabble in sin. I don't think that's God's. I, I don't think any Christian should think like that. Amen. Remember, we have been freed from the iniquity of this world or the corruption that was in this world through lust. If you've been freed from it. Now, when, when are we freed from it? When he gave us the divine power in the promises of God through faith. Once God gives you faith, he never expects you to be bound by sin, fall into sin, or to be overcome by sin. That is foreign to the victorious life. God says, I always call you to be victorious in Christ. No Christian a believer should ever, ever fail in the battlefields of temptation. The deck has been stacked. And we are more than conquerors. Amen? All right, so that's the first measure of faith. Aren't you glad you come? Hallelujah. Now, the second measure of faith comes by uh, the uh, call of God. How many of you, uh, you cannot become a part of the fivefold ministry by reading the scriptures and saying, yes, that's me. You have to hear the call. God has to speak to you, whether in a dream, a vision, whatever it might be, like Jeremiah, God spoke to him before the foundations of the earth. He called him to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was struggling, and God said, look, stop telling me what you can't do and start telling me what you can do because I called you to be a prophet. Stop looking at people's faces and start listening to what I said to you. Now, Jesus called certain men, and they entered into the place of the apostle. But we don't gather the, uh, our calling to be a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher, or an apostle, or a prophet by uh, hearing the scriptures, or anybody could be one. Is that right? Absolutely. But these are divine gifts, sovereignly ordered or sovereignly dictated by God. They're not of man's hearts or anything of that nature. 
they are the callings of God. If you'll go to Romans 12, I think it's Romans 12. No, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance is Romans 11, 26, is it? I don't know where it's at. Romans, come on, somebody help me here. Romans, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. What is it? Romans eleven twenty nine. All right, let's go to Romans eleven twenty nine. Hey, right there it is. It's on the screen magically, and the gifts 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 and callings of God are without repentance. There are three classes of gifts. There are the fivefold ministry gifts. There are the body of Christ ministry gifts, which is found in Romans 12, 3, on down through 11. And then there are the gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians 12th chapter. The first section of the gifts that is revealed to man is found in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 8 on down, where Jesus descended in the lower part and then also ascended and he brought and gave forth gifts, and he gave them to men. That was the fivefold ministry. Now, those gifts are not found or received by hearing the word of God. Those, they, we have faith to receive the abundant life, the promises of God. That comes to this right here. But when it gets into the gifts of God, God has to speak to a man or to call him. Paul said these words in Galatians 1.1. Galatians 1.1. It says this. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul's calling was not from man, or, nor was it of man, but it was of God. Now, Paul, an apostle. If God called Paul to be an apostle and for him to carry out the office of the apostle, it was only God who could equip him with the divine power to do so. Right? Okay. So when a man gets called into the fivefold ministry, God calls a man um, either by dream, by vision. Uh, he can call him by an audible voice, angelic appearance. There are multiple ways that God calls men into ministry. But when God calls them and a man hears, what does he hear? He hears the voice of God and that when he hears, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. When Paul heard, I'm calling you to be an apostle, Paul was infused with faith from that hearing to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, we can go into the scriptures and receive defining or boundaries that define the fivefold ministry, but you can't go to the scripture and receive enough faith to become a part of the fivefold ministry. That comes from a sovereign choice of God before the foundations of the world. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance, they have nothing to do with man's good, his evil his ability, or anything else. It has to do with God's sovereign choice and God's, Paul, an apostle, God's sovereign provision. 
And so when God calls us into this fivefold ministry, he gives us enough faith to fill the vision or the call. Could I get an amen? So when God calls Paul to be an apostle, then he equips him with enough faith to carry out and to fulfill that call. And with that call, there is enough faith to apprehend the vision of God, the purpose of God, the direction of God, the word of God, a revelation of God, as well as to work the signs or the wonders of the apostle. Now, though that type of faith is not available just to everybody, it is only given to those whom God has chosen. Amen? All right, so when a man gets that kind of faith, he has enough ability to hear vision, to hear vision. I had a, in one of our campuses, a lady called me one time. She said, Pastor Dosak, I, I love Pastor Duh, 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 and Pastor Duh, 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 but I've got a problem. And I said, are you the problem or do you have a problem? She said, no, 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 I have a problem. I said, okay, okay, uh, maybe I misunderstood you. I didn't misunderstand her. She was a problem. She just didn't know it. And uh, I said, okay, what's your problem? She said, well, our problem is that we're Christians and we have vision too. I said, oh, okay, go ahead, yeah, all right. And uh, she said, and you know, we got vision too. And, and we, we've got opinions and we've got that. And, and she said, you know, they just don't listen to us. And I said, you, you got vision? She said, yes, yes, we, we got things we want to see done. I said, well, if I was you, I'd just go down the street and rent another building. I said, because there ain't no two-headed monsters in my campuses. There's a man that's been called of God, set by God, has a voice of God. He's going to declare the vision of God. Now, if you got your own vision, then you must have your own call. So what you need to do is go down the road, start you up a little church, and see how many people that believe that God would speak to somebody like you. That's a little dig, but I don't know if you caught it. She caught it. And she said, well, do, do you think? I said, no, I'm not thinking. I'm telling you the truth. If you think that you're a shepherd and you have the direction of a church, then go down the road and open the doors of one and see how many come. The reason you went to that church is because that church has a vision, and before you got there, you didn't have. So it amazes me now that you are so light and quick, you got all these visions. I said, you know what? Listen, I'll tell you what to do. Don't be controversial. Don't be divisive. Look, if you can't get with the captain of the ship, jump overboard. <laughs> they did. They came back later and apologized. Oh, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. Now they got another vision. What that mean? This time when they jump over, throw the anchor over with them. And you say, oh, well, that's crazy. Oh, no, no. After a second or third time that a man's been marked, that he's not walking with the vision, then you know what? Count him a little out there and just stay away from him. Don't, don't, don't get him so close to you he can bite your tendon. Right. Put him out there and just let him run with the other crazy dogs. Yeah, hallelujah. So I'm glad that you're happy with that. Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, uh, so, uh, of course, they didn't. They haven't. They never will. And, you know, all their dreams will die with them. Why? Because they didn't have anyone. So that's the second place that faith comes from. 
And then there is a third kind of faith. I call it the experience or experiential faith. People have faith out of what God does for them. It's like a, if somebody, I, I'll tell you of a man. I won't, I won't mention his name. Some of you older people may remember him. He was in a severe accident, and his arm got severed, and his arm was like dead. And uh, he was brought to an A.A. Allen meeting. Brother Allen prayed for him, and God instantly connected that arm, and that arm lived. He became very known for miracles. In fact, I had a personal friend that worked with him for over five years, Ken and his wife Elaine Homer, I worked for him for years, and uh, he was a man of miracles. I mean, he would empty wheelchairs. He would pull off oxygen bags and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but at night, he'd go out and get drunk and carouse and do everything. They said he, he just didn't care. He said he'd stand up on a Sunday morning and say, Hey, where's them people I was with in the bar last night? They'd stand up. Then he'd just walk along and start pulling people out of the wheelchair. And he'd say, hey, and all you Holy Ghost preachers, come on down here and see if you can do what I'm doing. Well, there wasn't a Holy Ghost preacher in there with enough power or enough guts to do it. They all knew that they couldn't do what he did. He possessed a faith that they had never seen and had never experienced. It was an experiential faith. And if I told you his name, you would uh, pretty well know him. He, in fact, he was going to run from governor governor one time then got convicted for burning the state trooper's house down and went to prison now rattle any ears now now you might know him hallelujah and uh so since then he's out and uh still preaching but he said himself to them i am one of them that will stand before jesus and say did i not do signs and wonders in your name jesus said depart from me i never knew you you workers of iniquity now, some people would say, well, how does that happen? I don't understand all the ins and outs, but Jesus never said, no, you never did one miracle in my name. He never said that. So this man had an experiential faith. That type of faith doesn't require a lifestyle that is conducive to the price purchased by an individual. So he just did it. And... He got his reward here on earth. Now, we would say, well, that's crazy. I know it's about as crazy as the Christian sinning. <laughs> and on any given Sunday, well, we're preaching to people that are lifting their holy hands up to God that have been sleeping with somebody the week before they got here on Sunday. And they're standing right beside the people that talk about somebody that Friday. And then they're standing right beside somebody else that repeated a word or repeated a story where the Bible says don't repeat a story or one that sowed discord or one that presumptuously said something about somebody else. So I don't know that we're any better than him or them. It's just that we need to make sure that we are right with God. Amen. Amen. And so that is a third type. And then there is the fourth type that doesn't come from hearing anything or an experiential thing. It is the gift of faith. The gift of faith is not something that man can arrive to by study or by any other way. 
it is a gift of faith. So it is a gift. It is given to you in a measure enough to accomplish one feat. One feat. Jesus told Peter, come. And in that invitation was enough faith for Peter to walk on the water one time. If it hadn't been just one time, any time Peter wanted to have a revival, all he had to do was go down to the beach and say, hey, guys, what's this? <laughs> now, I have had people say this. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, he's got enough faith. I think he could probably walk on water. No, he'd never walk on water. No, you, you can't tell me one person that you have ever heard in the history of mankind walking on water except Jesus and Peter being granted a portion of that gift to come to him. Well, it, I, I think I'm just going to grow in my faith. You're going to grow in your faith and get wet. Because the faith that he had was not a faith that came by hearing. It was a faith that came by an impartation for a purpose. For a purpose. How about having enough faith to throw a stick in the water and an axe head swim? Have you seen any of that on America's Got Talent? Well, wh why don't these things happen? Because they happen by divine measures of faith for a divine purpose. Now, I'm going to make another statement. Why doesn't or why don't people that have so much faith see miracles? Have you ever been to a convention where there's 15,000 people? Sick people lined up on each side, you know, and they're preaching on healing, praise God, making declares, and they roll those same people right out. And nobody gets healed. Have you ever been in a convention like that? I've been in too many of them. I don't go to them anymore. Why? Because the faith that it takes to operate in the area of the dimension of the gifts of the Spirit is a deposit or a measure of faith to operate for a predetermined time for predetermined results in a service. And since that gift of faith never comes on those men, they never do signs and wonders. You say, but I've got faith to open the eyes of the blind. I, we're, we're not even going to shame you by that. The gifts of the Spirit do not and cannot operate in any way, dimension, shape, or form separated from the gift of faith. People say, oh, praise God, I'm, I'm, praise God, I'm going to raise the dead. Not on your faith. Oh, I want to have enough faith to raise the dead. No, you're not. No, 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 not at all. Ain't going to happen. You cannot reverse death. Only the faith of God can raise the dead. Oh, well, what I knew, well, I knew Smith Wigglesworth. No, you read about Smith Wigglesworth. And he raised from the dead whom God told him to raise from the dead and who God gave him faith to raise from the dead. And if that wasn't true, there would never have been one person that had not been raised from dead in the lifetime of Smith Wigglesworth. God doesn't trust people with faith to go around just raising everybody from the dead. 
It, it doesn't happen. And if you want to prove me how much faith you have, please let me know. I'll line up any type of sick people you want. And if you get those people healed with one of the gifts, without the gift of faith, I'll tell you, you're wiser than I am. But I'm just telling you, you're not. And that's why when we're praying for the sick, we sometimes say, you know, bring everybody up that's blind. Well, I would say, you know what? If you're here tonight, praise God. And uh, you know what? You want to get prayed for your blind eyes? Come on up here. And you know what? They'll come. If they come, that's great. But there are some people that I'll stand right in line and say, praise God, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I'll get back to you because I know this person is not going to get set free. Oh, but God, but God. No, no, listen. You are not in charge of the power of God. You are a steward of it. Yes. Absolutely. Did Jesus heal everybody that was sick in Jerusalem? No, no absolutely. No. If there's three years, he didn't heal them all. Did he raise all the dead people? How did he know who to raise? Oh, God told him. Huh. We would do well to stop calling out everything and everybody. Sometimes I'm in a, a meeting. Oh, I thought Charles at Lively was here. You can look at deaf people. And sometimes in churches they have deaf sections. And uh, sometimes you can say, hey, is, uh, bring the deaf up here. But you want to be cautious doing that. Because you know what? God knows their heart. God knows their intention. God knows everything about them. And you don't. So when I'm ministering to people in death thing, I'll say, uh, I'm going to pray for that lady right there. As soon as you give her hearing, they want to bring everybody up. And I just say, no, no. But they want prayer. I said, no, they don't. Take them back to their seat. Because, see, you think getting them healed is a blessing. But you're taking them out of the culture that they want to be in. Mm-hmm. But you're wiser than them, right? You are the all-knowing wizard of Healingville. No, you're not. No, absolutely not. We have to be cautious. We have to be able to interpret and to discern what gift that God has touched us with and how long it's going to be for. Now, there are times that God tells me, son, I want to heal everybody in this building. I say, okay, praise God. Charlie and Carol was in Mexico. We had, I called for the deaf people. 82 deaf people. 82 deaf and dumb. And even these, he even slid cripples in there. But every one of those people heard and spoke. And the cripples got healed. You say, well, man, that was great. Well, it wasn't great on me. Thank God for the gift of faith. Because if you think I can look at somebody that's been born with no eyeballs or no ears and think that I can believe that they're going to see? Are you crazy? And I'm just telling you right now, you got the wrong guy. I'm looking at their head and their ears and thinking, God, this is impossible. He said, yeah, I know. I gave you my faith. Go ahead and pray. I said, Lord, you, there's no way. But then they give it. So when... when you start thinking, oh, yeah, I've got enough faith to do this. Yeah, you're, nobody does anything, not by might, not by power.
but by God's Spirit. And when you start declaring to me that you're going to dictate the outcome of what's taking place in people's lives, I know the kingdom's about to get a black eye. About to get a black eye. You have got to have the measure of the faith of God to operate in the gifts of God. Now, where does the word of knowledge come from? God. So how do you access his gifts without his faith to open that door? That means that anybody, no matter what lifestyle, no matter what was going on, if they had faith, could open that door. That's not true at all. Now, I know that some, some of us are saying, well, you know, if I just had faith, if I just had that, I know, but I'm, I'm going to be, let's be real. Let's take a mask off. All the people that taught you that, tell me how many people they pulled out of wheelchairs while you watched their program. None. Oh, no, please, not none. You're right, none. Why? Because you can teach about anything, but until you can activate it, live in it, and move in, in and out of it, You've never accessed the door. And this is why so many people, we don't operate in gifts because we don't understand certain things. But you can take your faith and begin to apprehend the gift of faith. Now, you can't apprehend it without God's leading, guiding, urgings. Because these are realms that God controls. God controls the resurrection of the dead. Not you. God does. Could again, amen. Absolutely. He holds the keys to those that will, get, will, that will have sight or not have sight. But see, you don't know their life. You don't know much about them. We're all at best meeting people for the very first time when we're praying for them. So you don't know their life. And if you try to do it without God, you're just going to shame the kingdom. And that's, it happens so many times. Uh, there's a guy in our church that uh, um, he is, was born with a, uh, a hearing problem, and, and it's hereditary, uh, they say. And so uh, he said, uh, well, you know, I've been praying four or five times, and they tell me, take my uh, hearing aid out, and I go back, and I can't hear nothing. Why did they do that? They overstepped their boundaries. And so their act of what they called faith did nothing but imprison him in a capsule of unbelief. Don't pray for people unless you've got the power to get it done. Amen. And recognize where you are in that power. No shame to say, I can't do it. I, it's not on me to do it. There's no shame to do that. I've had people come up to me and say, well, well, I'm believing for this. And I just say, look, I know you think you're believing. But look, you don't have faith and I don't have enough faith to get that hand grown back. You just need to own up. Unless God shows up and infuses me with the working of miracles in his faith, you're not getting that hand back. Oh, how could you say that? You want me to say what you say? We're going to believe God. 20 years later, they still have a stub. That sure helped their faith. Oh, but I'm doing it by faith, and you're destroying theirs by yours. There is a word of wisdom, and that means you know how to operate 
in the gifts, how to orchestrate faith, how to give birth to faith, and how to harvest faith and bring a miracle to pass. But we can't just continually move in this realm of what we call, I, I don't even want to call hyperfaith because I don't, don't think it's hyperfaith. I think it's just ignorant faith. They talk of faith, but they're producing no raindrops that show it's real. Now they have evidence of, of money and this and that, but that's the cheapest entrance into the level, into the life of God and the faith, the life of faith, is things. Why? I'll tell you why. Because a man's own strength and due diligence tends to prosperity. And you can take a smart sinner and he can out-prosper most Christians. Why? Because the entry level of faith to produce things is paramount or parallel to a man being wise and educated and using it to extract wealth. Prosperity, what we call prosperity by faith, is an entry level. Now we say, oh man, that's great. No, it's not great. Ask the man that has no eyeballs but now can see after faith what he wants, the million dollars or his sight, his crippled child walking or a new Mercedes. See, now I'm blowing all your theology. Oh my God, I feel so bad. Don't feel bad. Just get it in order. Just get it in order. Here, here's how prosperity, how easy prosperity is. Walk in my ways, and my blessing shall overtake thee. What do blessings tend to? Prosperity. And it adds no sorrow. The easiest way to be blessed is just be obedient. Amen. Keep your confession right. Do right. You will drown in the goodness of God. That's true. But see, we, 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 we use our faith for all the, all the stuff, and, and that's fine. But don't use it for any more than you can distribute to unveil God. Because then it becomes a snare. I don't know why I'm preaching all this. You must need this, Mike. Yeah. And so I want you to realize that, you know, faith for things is just entry-level faith. That, that's all that it is. Did you, anybody ever record where Jesus said, hey, praise God, I'm blessed, I'm the head, not the tail, hallelujah. No. But he wore best gowns, had his own house, supported 12 disciples and their little mud rat dogs and, and their kids and their wives. He supported them all and supported a thief. But it's never once that Jesus confessed that money cometh. But he walked in obedience, which is the co-joined twin of faith inseparable. And if you walk in obedience, you're walking in faith. And it will produce. Right? Yeah. It's never recorded that Abraham changed the names and said, 
Abraham the head and not the tail. But he changed the name and said, Abraham, the father of many nations. He used his faith for the plan and the purpose of God, not for cows and donkeys, Amen. gold and silver. Sure. But he accum accumulated a mass that were bigger than most nations. Sure. It, it has to do with attitudes. Attitudes. Now, so let's go right back to what we were talking about. We want to live in the realm of faith. We want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But we want to make sure that we are connected to God and we understand that we do not move God. He moves us. Now, the Bible says that these gifts are distributed, as it were, at the Holy Ghost discretion. In other words, we have to have faith in him. And when he deposits a measure of faith in us, it's for a purpose. And as soon as that purpose is accomplished, you come right back to planet Earth and you live by faith. Could again, amen? And if you keep walking there enough, you become more sensitive and deposits of faith are given to you or the measures or the gifts of God's faith is given to you and he starts entrusting you more and more and more and pretty soon there is a residue, but you're always cautious never to use it at your own discretion. Never do it. So that is a way, uh, another way that faith comes. It is the measure of faith. Somebody say the measure of faith. Measure of faith is given to you for a task or for a time period. As soon as that task or that time period is over, that gift is done. Because God knows the beginning to the end. He knows just how much to give you. And he knows when it'll start. He knows when it'll end. Amen? Now, have you ever been in miracle service where somebody would say, you know what? It's lifting off of me quickly. Okay? What's that happening? He's recognizing that the gift of faith is being withdrawn. It's coming to its end. It's dying out. So you got to do as much as you possibly can in that time. So that's why it's important. Have you ever, uh, uh, Eric, where's Eric? Okay, Eric, come up here. When, when we're in the service, I'll say, uh, bring me the blind. I, I want everybody that's blind up here. They'll start bringing the blind. As soon as the blind start getting healed, here come the cripples. Here come, and they say, no, no. And what do I say? We're just praying for the blind right now. Yep, and I tell them. No, but they're crippled. Go back. Right. Look, you want me to, look, I'm not a healer. Go back to your seat. Right. You're trying to get me to be God. I'm not God. God told me blind eyes. You need a miracle. You're crippled. You are not blind. Do you see me? Yes, yes sir, yes, sir. What are you doing up here? Right, and I tell Eric, and we tell the ushers, stop letting these people through. Oh, but God's mercy. No, no. If they have enough faith to touch me, and sometimes I put my coat out, people walk by, and testimonies and miracles start. God, hundreds of people get healed. But that's not me. That's their faith, Amen. not mine. But when God tells me this miracle or that miracle or this type of healing, don't try to let people short-circuit it. You will, depot, you will drain the gift of faith this fast. And the rest of the service is on you. And then nothing's going to happen. 
So you, sometimes people think, oh, you're being mean. I'm not being mean. I'm trying to tell you I'm not God. Don't fall down and worship me. Get up. Look, we're mere men. And the gift doesn't declare us God. It declares him God. And if you're trying to do anything other than declare him God, you're on your way out anyway. So when, when, when God's calling out certain things, it's for certain things. You say, well, well, why doesn't God? I don't know. Write him an email. I don't know. Tell him you don't like how he's doing it. I don't know. Now, you see me in a lot of times. I walk through a service and, and I'll just say, what's wrong with you? What I'm trying to do while I'm talking to them, sometimes I pray for them, sometimes they just move on. Why? Because pre-adventure, God will deposit in me a measure of his faith. And then I know I'm going to get that person delivered, and they're going to glorify God. But if God doesn't deposit on me, if I don't discern it, if I don't interpret it, I'm moving on. Why? I'm as helpless as she is. It's only the gift of faith that makes men giant conquerors. Amen? So, let's be wise. It comes by hearing, and that gives you the ability to live in the Zoe abundant life and to produce godliness, a life without sin and holiness, without spot or blemish. And then after that comes the measures of faith for the callings. Remember, some are called to in numbers of 50, hundreds, and thousands. So, what God is doing, he calls people, he gives them a measure of faith to accomplish or a task or to deliver a vision or fulfill a vision. And then there is the experiential faith. That's, a, that's powerful, but it's also most dangerous because it costs nothing. And they have it. And then there is the gift of faith that God deposits in us for a task or for a purpose. And so you can operate in all of them, but we just need to learn them. But we have been so spoon-fed over the last 40 years that we just see faith one-dimensionally for one thing. Faith as a commodity for an exchange for other goods. That's what it is. I want to use my faith to get something. That's not the overscope of faith our faith is to get things to bless others but to live holy to see god amen hallelujah stand your feet i bet you're glad this over hallelujah i 